0: Because truly you are worthy you are so faithful and just like we're going to go through the life of Abraham this morning you proved yourself faithful to him even though he was faithless and you do that to us you're faithful to us even when we're faithless even when we waver in our faith walk away from our faith you're faithful faithful to stick it out with us faithful to discipline us and faithful to restore us. Lord, I thank you for that love this morning. I pray you use your word. Let it minister, convict, transform. Let it go down deep, Lord. Let us be honest with who we are with you today. In Jesus' name, we all say it. amen. Give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah. How many of you men are going to the Mighty Men? Wonderful. If you haven't made a decision yet, okay, you're overdue. You got to make a decision. You got to go. It's like one of those things you just got to go. I would like to see all of you over there. I'm going to the Mighty Men because I'm a mighty woman. (laughs) Uh, Actually, they're having uh, regional um, meetings there for all of the women. So, as part of the steering committee, I, I will be going to the Mighty Men. So uh, we will be attending at night. And so I look forward to seeing as many men from Victory I Hayward as possible. <laughs> and that's really, really important. That's something that we, you know, these are uh, events that only happen like um, at once a year. So you get together with all of the men in San Antonio and, and it's going to be a great, great opportunity. So I, ha- I hope to, to see all of you there. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 12. And um, as you're doing, I, I pray that you're also preparing for this Saturday to bring your moms. Moms, bring your children. We're having a special, special time just for you. We have special testimonies. We have a special gift. We have some prizes. And it's just a time to honor moms. And next Sunday, we have our Sunday morning service and that's a real, real special time. And I pray that you'll, you'll bring your mom out. Um, and moms, you know, sometimes your, your kids will say, what do you want for Mother's Day? Tell them, I want you to come to church with me. That's what I want. I want you to come to church. And, uh, and that'll be your gift. I'll tell you, if, if my children were not serving God, that would be the one gift I would want from them. Just for them to be there. And because once they're sitting next to me, I'm just praying. I'm grateful to the Lord that my children are serving the Lord with me, but if they weren't, that's where I would want them, right there serving God with me, hearing God's word and rejoicing. So bring them uh, bring them to Saturday and then tell them, okay, one more day. You need one more day. Come tomorrow. And so we're just going to have a blessed, blessed weekend this coming weekend. Genesis chapter 12, we are continuing with our journey through the book of Genesis. We're going to start reading in verse 9. And it reads like this, Abram kept moving, steadily making his way south to the Negev. Then a famine came to the land. Abram went down to Egypt to live. It was a hard famine, a severe famine, the Bible says. As he drew near to Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, look, we both know that you're beautiful. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, aha, that's his wife. And they're going to kill me. But they'll let you live. Do me a favor. Tell them you're my sister. Because of you, they'll welcome me and let me live. When Abram arrived in Egypt, the Egyptians took one look and saw that his wife was stunningly beautiful. You got to remember, she was 65 years old. That's unbelievable. She was stunningly beautiful. Pharaoh's princes raved over her to Pharaoh. She was taken to live with Pharaoh. Because of her, Abram got along very well. He accumulated sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men and women servants, and camels. But God hit Pharaoh hard because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Everybody in the palace got seriously sick. Pharaoh called for Abram, what's this that you've done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she's your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I take her as my wife? Here's your wife back. Take her and get out. Pharaoh ordered his men to get Abram out of the country, not even out of the city, out of the country. They sent him and his wife and everything he owned on their way. Go ahead and have a seat. Now we're getting into some really good, good stuff here. Our study in the life of Abraham are lessons for us to learn about our own particular life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 and 12 says, the reason that we have these people is these things happen to them as examples for us. This is what we're going to read about in Abraham. They're an example for us. They were written down to warn us how to live at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. This is what the life of Abram tells us. His name had not changed yet. God changed his name later on to Abraham, but right now he's still Abram. He's still growing in his faith. He's still learning how to walk. He's still stumbling along the way. We have to remember that the journey of faith is a process of maturity. There are stages of great success, but i want to let you know there are stages of great failures also. Failures and defeats. And God uses both our success and our failures to mature us in our faith. Both of them together. Don't just think that if you're a Christian, you're just going to go from success to success to success. Sometimes you're going to hit a little bump along the way. You're going to hit a little rock along the way. You're going to hit a little obstacle along the way that's going to cause you to stumble. But God uses them both to grow us and mature us. So the first thing I want to let you know about Abraham's life is that in verse 9, the Bible says that Abraham gave up. It says, the Bible says that Abram kept moving, steadily making his way south. Now In the beginning, Abram was staying between Bethel and Hai. That was two cities. And Bethel means the house of God, and Hai means the heap of ruins. That's what their names mean. So Abram was in the house of God, and he was able to see the heap of ruins. He was able to see what the world was like from his house of God. But even though he could see the world up close, he still drifted toward it. Just like many of you, you see the world up close every day when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go out of your house. You see that world up close. And for some of you, you're drifting a little bit too close to it. Crisis, challenges, are what drew him away from the house of God toward God the world. See, Abram heard the voice of God calling him to go to a new land, the place where God had promised to bless him. That's what, in verse 1 through 8, that's what God was doing. God called him and he says, I want you to go get out of Ur and I want you to go to a place where I'm going to bless you, a place where I'm going to make you a father of many nations, a place where it's a promised land. And he gave him all of these instructions. He heard his voice. He gets up He sets up an altar, and he begins to worship God. But then, after the worship, he begins to look around this place that God had brought him to, and he's looking, he says, you know, this place don't look too good. There's nothing here for me to grow. How am I gonna feed my family? There's a famine. There's no food. I have nothing. What good is all this promise if I die? What good is all this that God is going to bless me and make me a father if me and my wife can't have enough food to live? wonder if we've ever had any questions of God like that. How am I supposed to do this, God? You promised you were going to do this. You promised you were going to do that. Now what? Now I lost my job. Now my car's on the blink. Now my kids are running away. Now my supervisor's after me. Now my teachers. Now my parents. Everybody, everything turns against me. How am I supposed to trust in your promise when you told me this? And now look. That's where Abram was. Worshiping one minute and then looking around at the circumstances the next minute. Saying, things don't look too good. See this beam? That don't look too good to me. I'm, I'm trying to worship him and then bam, I see that beam. Just like Abram looked at the circumstances. Right after God had given Abram a promise of blessing, then the problem came. The famine came in the land. Just when God called him, just when God promised him, just when God renewed and restored and revived him, then the crisis came. Abram went from the highest of spiritual highs to the lowest of spiritual lows. He had gone from a spiritual feast to a spiritual famine. The greatest challenge to our faith is whenever we experience a spiritual high. Sometimes you get out of church and man, you're excited. Oh, God spoke to me and all these things are happening and you're out and then you go outside and there's your car with a flat tire. (laughs) Bam. Or you... You come out, and you're all excited, and you go to Children's Church, and somebody bit your kid. <laughs> all of a sudden, you go on a spiritual low. Every time you get on a spiritual height, there's always going to be that challenge to stay there. That's exactly what happened to Abram. But what happened to him was what happens to us. Rather than waiting to hear the voice of God, Abram took matters into his own hands. He looked at the circumstances and then he began to look and he began to allow fear to start coming into his life. Fear came in and he listened to the wrong voice. With every challenge, with every decision that we have to make, we have to choose whose voice we're going to listen to. Are we going to listen to the voice of fear? are we going to listen to the voice of faith? That's where Abram was. See, we can hear the voice of the Father, or we can hear the voice of fear. It's up to us. Abram listened to that voice of fear. Remember, Abram knew God's voice. God called him out of Ur. God told him, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm going to take you to a promised land. Abraham knew the voice of God. But all of a sudden, now now that crisis comes, now that challenges come, he can't hear God's voice now. Now he begins to think, you know what? i got to take matters into my own hands. i got to help God out here. I mean, how am I supposed to become a father if I die? This must be what God wants me to do. Didn't wait to hear God's voice. Didn't pray for direction. Didn't seek counsel. Didn't do any of that. Just said, I know what I'm supposed to do. When we commit our lives, when we commit our finances, when we make building pledges, something is always going to happen to test our faith. See, this is the first time that we ever hear the mention of Egypt. We'd never heard of this before. But whenever Egypt is referred to, it symbolically represents the world. Everything that Egypt represents is the wealth, the wisdom, the wickedness, and the worship of the world. Everything that is tempting to us is Egypt. You ever heard somebody say, where's so-and-so? Oh, they're back in Egypt. They're back in Egypt because they're in with all of the wisdom of the world they're all with the temptations of the world with the wickedness of the world what Egypt was to Abram the world is to us it's Egypt Egypt looked very attractive to Abram when he was in a place when there was a whole lot of famine he didn't have a way to figure out how he was going to get his next meal He didn't have a farm to grow because the the land was not growing. There was famine. But he had forgotten God's promises in his life. He had forgotten what God told him. Abraham or Abram relied on human resources rather than divine resources. He took matters into his own hands. Abram was trying to preserve the promise of God, but now he was beginning to doubt. And then, just like us, like, just let me help God. Let me help him out. This was the beginning of Abraham's backsliding. Abraham's backsliding. Anytime you move away from God's house, it's always going to produce a famine in our spirit. First, Abraham gave up. The next thing he did is he experienced famine. In verse 10, it says, then a famine came to the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live, and it was a severe famine. When the Bible says it was a severe famine, it means that it was really a difficult thing. And this famine was totally in contradiction to the promise that God had given to him. God told him, I'm going to bless you. In verse 3, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply. I'm going to make you a nation. Have you ever had a promise of God that is in total contradiction to the way things look right now? God has told you about your children, that they're going to serve God. And there they are, busted. And there they are, running away from home. And there they are. You haven't even heard from them. They're, they're on drugs and they're doing everything else. They want nothing to do with God, but God told you. He told you. He told you that they're going to serve God. You cannot look to Egypt and say, that's the way out. I don't care what your circumstances look like. you got to hold on. Because sometimes the promises of God look like they're in contradiction. They look like they're in contradiction to the circumstances in your life, but they're not. It's a testing of your faith. Are you going to hang on? Are you going to believe? Are you going to trust him rather than what you see? Faith is the sub, is substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You cannot see faith. You've got to trust. That's the challenge to Abram and to us today when we doubt concerning God's will. Can you imagine when he looked at the land that the Lord had promised that was going to feed him, that was going to bless him, now it couldn't even grow an onion? Couldn't even grow a carrot. Couldn't grow nothing. See, Abram was a lot like you and I. Because he began to start questioning the promises for his life. How many times have we stepped out in faith, got to where we were, supposed to go, almost got there, and said, oh, you know what? It's not working out. I must have made a mistake. I must have not heard God right. I must have misunderstood understood what he said he said for me to take this job he said for me to let go this job he said for me to go over here or go over there and all of a sudden everything starts happening the car breaks down you lose your job you get a demotion you get a cut in pay everything happens and you're like you know maybe I really didn't hear God's voice maybe it was just me I'm supposed to quit my job and go into full-time ministry, and everything goes wrong. Maybe it wasn't God's voice. Maybe it was just me. Maybe I made a mistake. I thought I heard something, but I really didn't hear it. See, that's how we begin to think. That's how humans begin to think. We begin to doubt the will of God because somehow we think that if there are difficulties or there's any types of challenges or any kinds of crises, this must not be God's will. Because God's will is smooth. Who said? Show me where it says in the Bible because I want to claim that scripture for myself. Where the going is always good. The Bible says that I know of that it's going to happen in the house of God. There's going to be disruptions. There's going to be persecutions. There's going to be all this stuff happening, and it starts right here. I don't think that a smooth going is an indication that God is always in it because God is always growing us and testing our faith. God is going to send us challenging circumstances to mature us. Can you handle it? Can you deal with it? To see if we're going to be able to meet the challenge. To see if we can really, really know that we know that we heard his voice. See, in verse 2 and 3 of this chapter, God had just promised him, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a dad. And now he's fighting for his life to stay alive. But God had already told him, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. Challenging circumstances in our life will bring up fear. A fear that will always cause us to want to contradict God. To want to be able to question God. To want to cause us to lose our faith and trust in God. Fear causes us to question God's ability to take care of us. Fear questions God's ability to fulfill his promises. The test for Abram's faith and the test for all of us who are on this journey of faith is to continue believing during times of crisis. When we fail to overcome fear with faith, then our faith is going to not only weaken, but it's going to even fade away. My husband used to always say, keep your faith level above your fear level. Your faith has to be up here. It doesn't matter if it's right here. But you got to keep it above it because if your fear becomes stronger than your faith, then you're going to start making some wrong choices. You're going to start making some wrong decisions because fear will always take you in the direction of Egypt. Fear will always draw you away from the house of God. That's why we need to keep our faith above our fear. Even though God had promised to bless Abram and his family didn't mean that God wasn't going to continue to test his faith. Even though God has told you he's going to bless you, he's going to take care of you, don't think it's always going to be a smooth ride. Warren Worsby said, and I love this quote, he said, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. If your faith can't be tested, how well can you be trusted? Fear is the greatest enemy to faith. Fear caused Abram's faith to falter. And if fear is not overcome by faith, if fear is not overcome by faith, then that voice is going to speak longer, louder than God's voice. Fear will always speak volumes louder than God's voice if you are not in the word of God, if you are not immersed, if the word of God is not hidden in your heart that you would not sin against him. It will always seem like it's louder. It'll always seem like it's the right thing to do. But it's not. God's voice seems to be smaller, but it depends. The Bible says that according to the power that works in you, that he will give you even above what you are able to ask or think, according to the power that's in you. What kind of power you got? Fear power or faith power? What you got? After he gave up, started going down to Egypt, after he began to lose his faith, then we begin to see in verse 10 through 15 that that fear that he developed, that fear that was there caused him to lie. Bible says that he, as he grew, drew near to Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, look, we both know you're a beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, that's his wife, and they're going to kill me. But they'll let you live. So do me a favor, tell them you're my sister. And because of you, they'll let me live. See, Abraham's fears were taunting him. They were calling on him. You know those fears that keep you up at night, the what ifs? I've never seen a what if have a good blessing in our life. A what if is like a rocking chair. You never go anywhere. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if? What if? You can't live your life on what ifs. That's fear. Fear will cause you to live by the what ifs in your life. And Abraham's fears were taunting him. Will God really take care of me? Is he really going to bless my life like He said? All of these fears and all of these doubts were chipping away at the trust in his life. They were chipping away at the trust that he had developed between him and God. And pretty soon, those fears became bigger than the promises of God for him. When fear speaks louder than the Father, it, caused a dis- it causes a distortion of reality. We don't see things the way they really are because fear has its own set of glasses on. See, faith has its glasses, and you begin to see the things. It doesn't matter if they're in jail. It doesn't matter if they're running away. It doesn't matter if they're disobedient and rebellious. It doesn't matter because those faith glasses cause you to see beyond that. It causes you to see the promises of God. It causes you to see way past that. But the fear glasses, you put those on, and you're looking like, oh, man, forget it. I'm about to go back to Egypt. I had it better there. I had it better there. Over here, man, people are criticizing me. People are putting me down. People are talking about me. I can't make ends meet. And this and that, complain, complain, complain. That's the fear. And you see what you see with those glasses. It's been said that pain is nothing compared to the emptiness from, that comes from quitting. Pain is nothing compared to the emptiness that comes from quitting. See, the Lord didn't give Abram instructions when the famine took place. He didn't tell him, don't worry about the famine. He didn't even address the famine. He told him the promises, and that's it. That's it, the promises. He didn't tell him anything about well, you got to make sure that you watch out because the famine's coming. Make sure that you watch out because things aren't going to be going so good for you next week. Matter of fact, I just got a phone call the other day from uh, evangelist Roy De La Garza. And it's funny that, that this came up because he, he, he said, hi, how are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm good. And he goes, oh, well, I just called to tell you things aren't going to be going too good for you in a little bit. I'm like, Really? In my heart, I'm going. I shouldn't have answered the phone. I just shouldn't have picked up this phone call. And he goes, "No, he goes. You're, you're going to be going through some tough things in the near future. Um, but I want you to know that the same strength that got you through the past trials is going to get you through the next trials. The same faith that got you through those trials is going to get you through the next one. And then here I am studying on the faith, and here I am looking at what Abram did, and I'm thinking." you know what, I've got to hang on to the promises of God. It doesn't matter what the circumstances look like because the circumstances don't always look too cool. But I've got to hang on to the word of God, what he promised me. God did not talk to Abram about the famine. He didn't warn him about the famine. All he told him was hang on to the promises, stand on the promises, believe in the promises, trust me to fulfill the promises. That's all he told him. Like Abram, like us, we take God's silence for permission to move. See, God didn't answer him. I don't even know. The Bible doesn't even say he asked him. But God was silent. So oh, this must be the way to go. This must be the decision I have to make. He didn't give him any instructions about the famine. So hey, I'm out. That was the fear that made him make a wrong decision. He feared that God couldn't supply his needs. And then the fear took him out of Bethel, took him out of the house of God, took him out of the place where he was growing, where he was worshiping, took him out because of fear. And let me let you know something. Fear grows. It begins to, it doesn't just stay small. It begins to go from one thing to another, to another, to another. First you're you you're fearing this. Then the next thing, oh, you're fearing this. And all of a sudden you've got a whole big old house of fear because it's just built up, built up, built up, built up. Abram lived in a day when human life was cheap. Similar to today. Human life is very cheap. There's... Thousands and thousands of abortions done every day. Human life is cheap. But in this particular time, human desire was considered more of value than human life. To be able to fulfill a sexual desire was more important than a human life. If a person wanted something, he would do everything he could do to get it. And that meant even killing for it. No big thing. If a man saw another woman and she was married and he liked her and he wanted to be with her, he'd just kill her husband. Just like today. How sad. We're living in Abram's day. That was a very common practice back then. And then they would add the women to their harem. And they had a lot of harems back, there, back then. But what happened is that Abram resorted to scheming and deceiving for the purpose of protecting his own life. He lied. When we try to take on problems by ourselves, we're going to start going on our own strength. And when we go on our own strength, you know what's going to happen? We're always going to resort to lying. We resort to things like drugs, alcohol, pornography, tv prescriptions we resort to finding a guy or finding a girl finding something to be a solution to our problem and all it's doing is it's just building up our fears more and more and more bible says that god has promised never to leave us or to abandon us He says, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Don't try to figure things out by yourself. Don't think, you know what, I've already done three months in the home, I'm done. I'm good. My husband was there two and a half years. He still needed longer, but we got married. (laughs) You can't lean on your own understanding. You can't think, you know what, I deserve this. I deserve that. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and then he will direct your path. He'll show you which way to go. See, Abram was handling another need, another problem, but he was doing it his way. He was thinking evil, and he was even suggesting evil to his wife. The evil of lying. Abram was failing Again, to trust God. His faith was, it was getting weaker and weaker by the day. He didn't believe that God would protect him. He didn't believe that God would take care of him and his wife. He felt he needed to lie in order to protect his life. You know, and I look at Abram as a husband. I think he was a very, very selfish, very selfish man. Because he only thought of himself. He didn't even think of his wife. He only wanted to save himself. He was willing for his wife to be sexually abused. He was willing for his wife to commit adultery. He was willing for his wife to be dishonored. And then the Bible says that he tried to make it sound like if it was for her benefit. In verse 13, he says, we're only doing this for thy sake. We're not doing it for me. We're doing it for you. So, Sarah, you gotta lie. You gotta say you're my sister. And the reason that he needed that time is because he wanted to, he knew that the blessings were gonna come if she got to be part of Pharaoh's harem. Now, you gotta understand something about this. All Abraham do, was doing was rationalizing his behavior. That's all he was doing because he was telling a half truth. See, Sarah was actually his half-sister. Same father, different mother. So he wasn't saying an old, totally 100% out lie, but he was telling a half-truth. But I want to let you know something today. A half-truth is a 100% lie. A 100% lie. You can't tell a 50% truth and a 50% lie and say, hey, you know what, I didn't totally lie, no you lied. You lied. He tried to protect himself by telling Sarah that she was his sister. Half truth. Now, why would Abram do this? Because at this particular point, he already had made some bad decisions. He already had left the house of God. He already was going to the world for the promises of God to be fulfilled, for him to eat, for him to be taken care of. And then he has to lie in order to protect his life. I mean, he's just going down and down and down. He's just like, after, after a while, you, when you've done this sin and you've done this sin, you're like, ah, what else? What else? He begins to start taking things in his own hands and he starts doing things in the flesh. That's where this whole plan came from, the flesh, because he was trying to protect himself trying to protect the promise of God to stay alive in his life, his own way. I remember there was a time, and I, I've shared this before, when, uh, when my husband was alive, when uh, we traveled a lot. And there were times when I had to stay home with the children and I couldn't travel with him. And so whenever he traveled, he always wanted to come back and he always wanted uh, us to be able to spend time together if he was gone for uh, three days or four days or a week, however long. And we, he'd always like to go to this one particular hotel. And he was gone. I don't remember where. But I do remember he, before he left, he said, don't forget to book reservations at, at this hotel. And I was like, oh, OK. And then he called me a day or two later. Did you book reservations? And if I would have told him no, he would have gotten mad. So I lied. And I said, yeah, I did. He goes, oh, good, good. And then in my head, I'm thinking, OK, I'm going to hang up and I'm going to call, make reservations, make it right. Something happened. I don't remember what happened, but I got sidetracked. And I didn't call. So here my husband's coming home. He's The day before he comes home, he goes, so are you ready? And I go. Ready for what? And he's like, well, we're leaving tomorrow. And I go, oh, yeah, that's right. He goes, OK, so you got everything booked? Yeah, it's all taken care of. Don't worry. Hang up? OK, now I really got to make the reservation, because that lie has been like a week old now. So I call up this hotel, and uh, thinking it's not a problem. And she says, you know, uh, the reservation answered. And she says, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry, but... We, every room in this hotel is booked up. We have convention. And I am like, uh, no, no way. This never happens. We always go here. And she goes, I'm sorry. Every, I said, you know what, let me talk to your supervisor. I'm beginning to sweat now. I'm beginning to go, oh my god. And uh, so the supervisor comes. And, and I'm talking to her. And, and I'm saying, you know, we, we, we always go here. Uh, and she says, you know, I, I understand. But every room is booked. And it's been booked for over a week. So there is my lie, exposed. My husband comes home. And he is so excited. <laughs> We're going. And I have to tell him, I lied. And I have to be vulnerable and apologize. And I'll and I just tell him, you know, I, I'm so sorry, I lied to you and he, why? And I remember he said, he looked at me, he goes, why would you lie? He said, because you had told me to do something and I didn't do it. And I was, I didn't really want to disappoint you or i didn't want you to get upset with me so the easiest way for me to deal with it was to lie and and i looked at him and i and i said from this day forward i will never ever lie to you again no matter how big or how small i will be honest with you and i kept that promise for till the day he died i never wa- i never again had to misrepresent the truth to him because of fear. See, every time you let fear come into your life, you lie. You try to make yourself look better. You try to make sure that everything works out the way you want it to work out. And I share this story with you because I have let fear overcome my faith because I needed to protect myself, I felt. I needed to defend myself. But the problem is that whenever we lie, it always backfires. Always, always, always backfires. Sometimes lying seems like it's the easiest way out. But let me tell you what the Bible has to say about lying. In Proverbs 6 16, it says, There are six things God hates, and one more that he loathes with the passion eyes that are arrogant, that's pride, a tongue that lies. Hands that murder the innocent, a heart that hatches evil plots, feet that race down a wicked track, a mouth that lies under oath. That's twice lies, twice, and a troublemaker in the family. Those are six things that God hates, and two of them are liars. Proverbs 21.6 says, wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. If you have gotten wealth underneath the table, you're blighting your income tax, you haven't said the truth, wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist. You think you have it, you don't have it. It's going to slip right through your fingers because that's what lies do. There's a story of four high school boys who couldn't resist the temptation to skip morning classes. Each of them said, man, it's springtime. We got to get out. We can't go to school. They had a test that day, but they said, you know what? Forget the test. Let's go. So after lunch, they all came back to school and reported to the teacher that they all got a flat tire. Much to their relief, she smiled and said, well, you missed a quiz this morning. So why don't you go ahead and take your seats far away from each other and get out a pencil and paper. So they're excited, like, oh, man, we didn't miss anything. We get to do this. And still smiling, she waited as they settled down and got ready for her questions. And then she asked, first question, which tire was flat? Gotcha. Children and teenagers. When you feel that you have to lie to your parents or your teachers, husbands and wives, when you feel that you can't be honest with each other, when you feel like you have to lie to your pastors or lie to your friends, remember this. If there's anything that I can tell you, learn to be honest. I raised my children with a lot of different values. And this was one of the values I told them since they were little. Tell them, I don't care what you've done. I really don't. I don't care what you, I don't care what you've done, I don't care how bad you think it is, don't lie to me. Because if you lie, then I can't trust you. And if I can't trust you, then it's gonna be very, very difficult for our relationship. And they may have, I have never caught them in it, but as far as I know, they haven't. Have they told me some ugly things? Yeah. Have they told me some things they've done? Yeah. Sometimes my son says, you know, Mom, you don't want to know all the stuff I did. I said, as long as you haven't lied to me, he says, that I've never done. I may not have told you all the things that I did, but you never asked. So this is like, okay, I never asked him, so he never lied. Revelations 21.8 says this, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Can you imagine liars are in the same category as the sexually immoral? You're in the same category. If you're a liar, you're in the same category as a pedophile. You're in the same category as a rapist. That's an ugly category to be in. But I just lied. I'm just telling you what the word of God says. You're in the same category. You're in the same category as a coward, same category as the detestable, as a murderer, as a sorcerer, those who do witchcraft. It's a horrible category to be in. When we get out of God's plan, we get ourselves deeper and deeper into situations that we never intended to go. There's an old song that says, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will. When we're out of God's will, there is no knowing how low you will go. There is no knowing. The next thing is that Abraham's supposed blessings. In verse 14 and 15, we read how Pharaoh saw Sarai And he brought her into his harem. And when he brought her in, he blessed Abram with sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And camels in Old Testament days were a representative of wealth. So he was giving him wealth, much wealth. And Abram, man, he was like, come on, bring it on. I ain't got nothing. I'll take it. He willingly accepted the gifts from Pharaoh. Gifts that were given because Pharaoh was pleased with Sarah. But Abram was deceiving Pharaoh by lying and stealing from him. He was stealing. He was a coward who refused to stand up for his wife and stand up for the promises of God. Abram slipped into this sin of lying. One sin led to another sin, led to another sin, led to another sin. And that's exactly how it happens. Abram was in a mess, and he didn't know how he was going to get out. So he said, man, I might as well just enjoy the blessings of God. Only they weren't blessings of God, because they were gotten deceitfully. They were gotten wrongfully. Pharaoh gave Abram those riches because Sarah and Abram, didn't refuse it. He took all the treasure. Just because a person is blessed financially or materially doesn't necessarily mean that they have divine favor on their life. Abram was blessed financially by his lie. If you get riches and you get wealth and you get a major fat income tax check by a lie, whatever you buy, it's going to break. (laughs) Whatever you wear you're going to stain doesn't matter what it is you get wealth through a lie god will not be mocked it's a it's a vanishing mist many people assume that just because a person's wealthy that they have god's blessing on their life sometimes it's true but sometimes it's not and then the last thing and this is really where i want to hit home this is abraham's failure The Bible says that the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with a great plague because of Sarah, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she was my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now, there is no indication here of how Pharaoh found out. All we know is that in his household, there was a disease. There was a consequence that took place because he took Sarah into his household. What they believed during those times is that pagan religion saw disease and saw sickness as a direct result of sin against a god. They didn't know what god, but all he knew is that whoever was the last person to come into his house, then all this stuff started happening, oh, it must be be her must be her. Just like when Jonah was running away from God, has to be him. He's the last one on the boat. Whatever God he's serving, that's the one. He's mad. And that's what was happening. Disease and plague broke out in his household. And so he figured out, I don't know if God spoke to him. I don't know how he figured it out. But he went back to Abram and said, brought him in and said, what did you do? Why did you lie to me? Why did you tell me she was your sister and she's really your wife? This is Pharaoh, a heathen, unsaved, rebuking a man of God, telling him, you lied to me. You lied. He rebukes him for his lie. He rebukes him for his lack of faith. But I don't want you to think that that rebuke came from Pharaoh. That rebuke came from God. God told Pharaoh somehow, some way. he told Pharaoh, this is a pagan ruler to rebuke his servant. Twice, Pharaoh had to ask Abram, why did you lie to me? This rebuke that Pharaoh gave to Abram shows just how far out of fellowship Abram was with God before Abram left for Egypt he was hearing God's voice he was speaking to him personally he could hear God when he told him I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that he heard him he was there was a communion there going on between him and God but once he left that house of Bethel and went to Egypt there was no more communication there was no more worship he could no longer hear God's voice The Lord didn't appear to him anymore like he did when he was in the house of Bethel. In Egypt, the Lord was silent. His worship was absent. And this is when God used an ungodly man to rebuke the man of God. Abram lied because he failed to trust God in his promises. He took things into his own hands. He resorted to doing things in the flesh to try to take care of himself. And all Abram had to do was trust in the promises of God that were given to him way back in Bethel. This rebuke from Pharaoh, this rebuke from God, was Abram's discipline. God had to come down on him. And God will do that to each and every one of us whenever we stray away from him. God will use the world. I don't know if God has ever used your unsaved employer, your unsaved teacher, your unsaved friends to rebuke you. But if he did, if he has ever used an unsaved person, maybe that you don't even know, then you got to know you're straying away from where you belong. God will always intervene in the life of one of his children whenever his word is at stake. The Lord deals with us the same way he deals with Abram. Romans chapter 12 tells us he is faithful to discipline. He loves us enough to discipline us. Because not only did Abram cause Sarah to lose her honor, but Abram damaged his own testimony. Imagine what was taking place in the mind of Pharaoh, when he found out that Abram was a servant of the Lord, and he had purposefully lied and tried to deceive him. What happens when you proclaim your Christianity at work, and you don't live up to those Christian values? You gossip, you lie, you steal. Oh, the company has all kinds of pens. Throw a couple in there. Ah, oh, they got a whole bunch of this. Throw it in there. I deserve this. I did overtime and they didn't pay me. Throw it in there. And you lie to your employer. You lie to your teachers. The dog ate my homework. <laughs> Again. It got wet. I mean, you know, you think you're coming up with some new excuses? Psh- this front row has more excuses than they could give you. They could give you some. So can the home. The home has got, they're full of excuses. Pharaoh rebuked the man of God. And then what he tells him is, you know what? Get out. Get out. I don't know if he thought. In his head, if this is what a Christian is like, I don't ever want to be one. I wonder how many people that we have ever come in contact with that have ever thought that because of our poor testimony at work or our poor testimony at school or our poor testimony at the market or the gas station or anywhere else. You're a Christian? Pfft, I don't want to be one. I'm stay far away. What church you go to? Oh, I'm never going to go to that church. If that's what that church is like, I ain't going there. I wonder how many people who are walking around who have a bad taste in their mouth because of our testimony. That's what happened with Pharaoh. He got a bad taste in his mouth for the living God. Because if Abram was a representative of the living God, why would he lie? Why would he try to deceive him? Why would he just try to take stuff? from him. So Pharaoh says, you know what? Get out. Get your wife, get your stuff and get out of the country. And I'm going to help you because I'm going to make sure that you're out. He said he sent his men. I want him out. I want him far, far away. He didn't even tell him to leave his possessions. All the stuff that he gave him, he says, I don't even want it. I don't even want it. You deceive me out of money, you deceive me out of stuff, you know what? Take it. It's not that much. It's not that big of a thing. You lie and deceive to get stuff, it's not worth it. It's never worth it. Because Abram had to leave with a damaged testimony as a man of God. He left with public exposure. Everybody knowing that he was willing to take part in adultery. Everybody knew that he had planned it. Everybody also knew that he had lied and he had stolen, that he had falsely took all this stuff from Pharaoh. Everybody knew. And he was embarrassing as a representative of a man of God. Everybody knew that he got publicly rebuked by Pharaoh. And then everybody also knew that he got kicked out of the country. Not even the town, not even the city, the country. You're out. He left with public shame and embarrassment. That's why we need to guard our testimony. That's why we need to make sure that we don't misrepresent our Lord by the words that we say, by the actions that we do. Make sure that we, when we walk out of these doors that we are not misrepresenting Christ anywhere our neighbors they shouldn't think one thing about us that is not godly our neighbors should think you know what i got some godly neighbors i never hear them screaming and yelling and cussing at each other i never hear them beating up their kids kicking the dog i never hear them using profanity i never hear that they're good neighbors You're not going to be able to win your neighborhood. You're not going to be able to share the gospel if you have a bad misrepresentation of the Lord in your life. See, Abram prospered materially. But spiritually, he was bankrupt. And God's promise to make Abram a great nation and bless all nations through him was put in jeopardy. Sometimes when we take matters into our own hands and we do things our own way, We put the promises of God that he has given us in jeopardy. Whatever promise he has given you, I will guarantee he will back it up. But if you don't fulfill your role, and if you don't stand strong in the midst of circumstances, in the midst of trial, in the midst of crises, in the midst of difficulties, then you're not going to be able to claim what he has promised you. We'll forfeit it. We'll give it up. Only God can meet our needs. I don't care how severe your need is. I don't think any of us are in that kind of a famine. Are we struggling? Yeah. We're all in this boat where the gas is too high, the food prices are going up, the mortgages, people are losing houses, the rents. We're all in the same boat. We all have needs. But we also have a God who meets needs. We all, you know, as I was putting this together, I was thinking of this beam, And I was like, Lord, we're in the midst of famine right now. Maybe not in the same way as Isaac, but we're in the midst of famine. There's a lot of people in this church who are in the midst of famine. How are we going to do this? And I got rebuked. The Lord said, are you going to look at the circumstance or are you going to look at me? Are you going to look at the beam or are you going to look at the promise? What are you going to do? I'm going to look at the promise. I have to look at the promise. If I look at that beam, I get discouraged. I got to look at the promise. Because weak faith, weak faith will always draw us back to Egypt. It'll always draw us back to ungodliness. It'll draw us back to the worldly lusts of the world. And it will always end in catastrophe. Isaiah 31 says this, what sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help? You got a lot of sorrow if you're going to look to Egypt for help. Trusting their horses, their chariots, and depending on the strength of human armies instead of looking to the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things. Not some things, not a few things, things all things will be added unto you. When Pharaoh kicked Abram and Sarah out of Egypt, the Bible says that they went back to Bethel. They repented. They began their journey back to where they first belonged. Bethel was the place where Abram had begun his journey. It was a place of worship, and it was a place where he was able to once again call upon the name of the Lord. This morning, I don't know where you're at, I don't know if you're like Abram, and your faith has been dwindling. You're taking matters into your own hands. You're lying to get by, to defend yourself, protect yourself. You're doing things that you're not supposed to because of your faith. Your faith has grown lean. You're looking to Egypt to say, man, you know what? If I was out there, I could do this, and I could do this, and I could do this. But that whole thing. Little saying, cheaters never prosper? They don't. It may look like it. It may look like it. But you never really prosper. Don't ever let yourself get rebuked by an ungodly person, because then that shows you how far away you are. Stand with me this morning. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, Think about this message. I don't know what area the Lord has convicted you about this morning, but maybe there was something that was said that the Holy Spirit just struck you, and you said, that's me. That's me. My we- my faith has become weak. I'm not trusting. I'm trying to figure out and plan how to work around plan that God has given to me because it doesn't look like the promises are gonna happen the way he said or when he said or how he said maybe you've been trying to help God out maybe you have found yourself lying this week and the Holy Spirit has convicted you about it and you know that you need to get rid of that habit maybe you've had someone that isn't even serving God rebuke you this week God loved you enough to tell you get back to where you belong and as we begin to sing that song you alone you alone that I want you to come and I want you to make it right with God whatever part you need to make right with God the altars are open